We serve a powerful, powerful God, don't we? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The name of that sermon, by the way, and the whole sermon's online. It's Dr. S.M. Lockridge, Shadrach, Meshach Lockridge. And in this sermon, he'll tell you why he's not named Abednego. Uh, it's a very funny little story he tells. Um, but that whole sermon is called Amen. That's the whole sermon. Uh, it's an hour and six minutes long, by the way. Um, but it's well worth the listen. And uh, in that, he is inspired to tell you who his king is. It's who our king is. And uh, we forget sometimes the, the power and the majesty of, of who Christ our king really is and what he overcame. We've been doing a short series the last three weeks called All About Christ. All about Jesus, and we, we talked about the fact that he was unprecedented and unparalleled, and this Sunday we're going to talk about that he's undefeated. Very simply though, and uh, you don't have to take notes if you don't want to, uh, today there, there are just a few uh, blanks to fill in. Uh, some of you are just crazy about that kind of stuff, and uh, when I don't pass out notes I get in trouble, so we want you to have them. Uh, but I want to ask, how many of you have played sports as a young person? Or maybe as a young person now, you're playing sports. Let's raise our hands. Anybody played sports? How many of you were ever on an undefeated team? Okay. Now, I know who's going to win this challenge, by the way, in the room. But how many of you, were ever, you ever played on an undefeated team? You weren't beat for the whole season. You won every game. Okay. Justin played on an undefeated team. But not MGM. No way. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. I've seen them play football. So, no, no. So, but I played on an undefeated baseball team uh, as a kid. I played for uh, an air conditioning company named Mark IV Air Conditioning. I don't even think they exist anymore. Maybe somebody else bought them out. Uh, maybe that's who air special. I don't know. Um, but it was Mark IV Air Conditioning. And when I played baseball in Little League, um, I got drafted. I played on the worst team in the minor leagues and the best team in the major leagues. They drafted me onto their team. And uh, we won three years in a row, never got defeated. Nobody ever even came close. UJ Chevrolet. Uh, was always in the playoffs with us, but we just slaughtered them every year. And it was fun to be on a team that just never lost. That was really cool. Um, but there are others in here. I know you've been on undefeated teams. And then Dallas was on this team that just never could get beat. Um, what, from uh, Peanuts all the way through, Peanut A all the way through whatever that last group was, Junior Division or whatever it was called. Um, how many games did y'all win? 113 games. And uh, they lost their very last game, by the way, in their final playoffs. And what the league did is took all the best players from the other teams and stacked them into that final team they played. And you only lost that game by two points, I think, six to eight. So terrible, by the way, terrible refereeing in that game. I'm just biased as I can be about that game. But, but uh, we should have won that game all along. But it was a pretty powerful deal, uh, pretty powerful uh, experience to watch uh, their team. Mark was one of the coaches and... Dallas played on this team that just every year they just played excellent and won. Um, I wanted to show you a picture of uh, the probably the greatest athlete of all times. Some of you may know him. I remember him from when I was a kid because I was a huge basketball fan. This is Bill Russell. And now let me just tell you a little bit about him. He's the winningest athlete of all times. Um, there's a bunch of guys in co- competition with him, but it's going to be hard to catch up with him because of this. When he was in college... Um, at, at the University of San Francisco, he, in his junior and senior years, he won two NCAA basketball championships back-to-back, and those two championships included, get this, a 55-game winning streak. 55 games winning streak. And he was the captain of that team. When, they, when, he, when he left college, they put him on the Olympic team, uh, the U.S. Olympic team that year, 
and he won one gold medal at the Summer Olympics for being the captain of the national basketball team who won their division uh, all the way around, all the way through. So he, he left college with two titles and then went on to get an Olympic gold medal as a basketball player. Then he was drafted. He was drafted during the summer, by the way, when he was in the Olympics. But he was drafted to the Boston Celtics. Now, he played for the Celtics, Boston Celtics, for a total of 13 years. He played there 13 years. Five times he was the NBA's most valuable player. Five times out of 13. Twelve times he was an NBA All-Star. And 11 times they won a national title. 11 of his 13 years... They won a national title, and that's a winning athlete, isn't it? He did a fantastic job while he was there. There's some awesome footage of him uh, on YouTube. It's really old because, you know, back in the day they didn't have a lot of great high-definition cameras, but there's actually one I showed my son Josh, and we love watching it. It's just a little 30-second clip, I think it's 40 seconds, of him taking a rebound. He's 6'10", so taking a rebound for him was just like, I'll just go up there and get that now. Nobody, none of you can bother with me. But he takes his rebound, and with those long legs, he takes about eight strides that go all the way down the court, and somewhere just past the free throw line, or just at the free throw line on his end, there's a guard that steps in his way. And he literally leaps over the top of the guard, just completely over him, and drops the ball in the basket. And, I mean, he just goes over the top of him. It's a beautiful clip. You email me, I'll send you that little clip. But he was this winning athlete. Now, here's the problem, though. When he finished all that, and he was one of the highest paid back in the day. He was one of the highest paid athletes back in that day. His first year's salary was $25,000. Boy, things have changed, haven't they? But back in the day, it was $25,000 he got to play for the Boston Celtics his first year. And every year they upped that, and eventually he was really extremely well paid. But here's the crazy thing. Um, Somewhere in his latter life, um, he did not do well. He lost all his money. Um, he invested in some terrible options and some things fell apart for him. He lost in his marriage. He lost in his relationship with his children. There's all this strife and controversy that surrounded his latter life. So winning athlete and defeated life. It's amazing to me. I've read a bunch of stories about that uh, this, this month, just preparing for this message about guys that are winners in one arena, but they lose in the most important stuff. So what I want to talk to you about today is what it means to be truly undefeated. And I want to ask you just to meditate. And this, by the way, this is meant to be uh, strong. I, was, uh, I listened to Dr. Lockridge now that I've found him online. Uh, there's a bunch of tapes and people that have recorded Dr. S.M. Lockridge online. And I love his style. I love his heart. And he's just a funny preacher, by the way, when you listen to him. Um, but he says a sermon should do four things. And one of them... Um, he says you should tan your hide. So, so you might get a little tan today, just sitting there. Um, but I just want to ask you, how are you doing in life? Um, how, how, are, how is life working for you? How is your record at life? Defeated or undefeated? Are you, do you have more wins? Or do you have more W's in the win column? Or do you have a lot of L's in there? Are you living a defeated or undefeated life? And that's what I'm talking about. By the way, I'm not talking about Candy Crush. Okay, I'm not talking about Minecraft. I'm not talking about Call of Duty. Okay, I'm not talking about Solitaire, one of my favorites. Okay, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about in life itself with real life issues. How are you doing in your day to day struggle? In your struggle to be a good man or woman? How are you doing? Are you defeated in that? Are you are you doing well in that? And you struggle to be the person God's called you to be to live a life that's honorable. How are you doing? 
I want to show you a verse we looked at last week, and uh, it's from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. This is a great verse. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus Christ, also became flesh and blood. And we know this. Christ came to earth to live among us as a man, 100% man and 100% God. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. If you mark things in your Bible, and I highly recommend you do that so you learn in it, it's a learning book, I would love for you to mark this phrase. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. What a great promise. And it's, I mean, it's Resurrection Sunday. You know, Brandon's already pretty hyped up about all that. Don't you love the fact that Jesus only had to borrow a tomb? Three days. He only needed three days. Hey, can I borrow that for a little bit? I'll, I'll give it right back, I promise. That's what he told the guy. I'll give it right back. And, and so he borrowed a tomb that could later be used for somebody else because he's going to leave it, right? And by, through that resurrection power, he broke the power of the devil who has the power over us. This is why Jesus could say to certain individuals all through the New Testament, even before he died, because he knew what he was going to do. And he could say to individuals, like in John chapter 8, it's one of my favorite stories. It's pictured in the graphics on that video we watched. It's one of my favorite stories where the adulterous woman is thrown at his feet. She's caught in the act of adultery by the Pharisees that morning. They drag her out of her bed. They're going to take her to the outer... Uh, walls of the city. They're going to take her outside the walls of the city by Jewish law and stone her to death. So she's caught. She's 100% guilty and she deserves to die. Everybody in this room, by the way, fits that bill. We all have sin in our lives and sin causes us to be completely deserving of death by God. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. This woman is a beautiful picture of what happens because when they catch her to take her out to kill her, they decide they're going to do something first because they want they really want to catch Jesus teaching falsehoods in the temple so they can cast him out of the temple because Jesus is driving the Pharisees nuts. And so when they, when they catch her, they th- decide on the way by the temple, they think, hey, let's go in there and, and see what he'll do with her because if he breaks the law, if he says something that's against the law, we can throw him out of the temple, and that would be great for us. That would be a win-win. We get to stone the adulterous woman, and we get to throw him out of the temple. So they take this adulterous woman in John chapter 8, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. That's the greatest place in the world. For a person caught in the very act of sin is at the feet of Jesus. And there she lays, and the Pharisees say with their rocks in their hands, because they're ready to stone her. Moses in the law says, such as she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus doodles in the dirt. You guys remember this story. It's a great story. He doodles in the dirt for a little while till it boils them on the inside. And their anger is seething. And they just want to get Jesus here. He said, God, they finally thought of this great question to completely stump him. And he finally stands up and he says, here's the deal. You can stone her to death as long as you're not guilty of her sin. Let him who is without sin cast the first stones. What he says. And the oldest Pharisee goes, man, he quoted the Old Testament to us. He didn't break the law. He actually quoted the whole law. And then they realize they're they're not even because of the sin that they have in them. They're not allowed to go out and stone her. See, they're angry at Jesus. They're seething with bitterness. They've had lust in their heart just like she's struggling with. And it leaves the adulterous woman at the feet of Jesus set free from all the people who were going to kill her. Set free. She's no longer a slave to those people. And Jesus stands her up and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? 
She looks around. She goes, no one. In John 8, verse 11, this is what she says. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Why can he say that? Because he's going to go to the cross and die a sin, and he's going to ascend into hell and pay. He's going to confront the devil and pay for all of her sins. And so Jesus says to her, go, King James says, go and sin no more. This translation says, go now and leave your life of sin. You understand? Jesus could look at people in his day that were pure sinners and say, hey, sign up with me, take me as your Savior, and stop sinning. Stop sinning. See, he was setting them free from far more than eternal damnation. He was giving them a new life. When Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death and hell and the grave. And anybody who would believe in him got the freedom from death and hell and the grave. But they also got what the Bible calls in some translations abundant life. One translation, John 10 verse 10, calls it satisfying life. Look at what this says in John 10. My purpose, Jesus says, this is Jesus' words, could be in red, by the way. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. King James says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. A lot of people talk about how Jesus came to save us from hell, and that's very true. That's very true. That's our eternity. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your eternity is secure. But wouldn't you like to have something here? Not being selfish, just saying, wouldn't you like your life to be different here? That's the promise of this verse. I have come to give them rich and satisfying lives. Now, everybody in here who declares yourself to be a Christian, I just want you to think for a minute. Would you describe your life as rich and satisfying? Rich and satisfying lives. That's what Jesus came to do. And when we trust Christ our Lord and Savior, that's what He promises to give us. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. So today you might be expecting me to talk to you about the resurrection of Christ. Um, If you'll just go online this week, (laughs) we did a whole series on the proof of of, uh, the realities of Christ. And we did a little series called How Do I Know? And then we started this series called All About Jesus. And it really sets up the reality that we believe very strongly as a church here. We, we stand very strong as a church on the fact that Jesus was a historical figure, uh, left heaven, lived among man, died on the cross at our expense, by the way, for our sins. He died for my personal sins and rose again the third day. And in that, re- that resurrection power, He offers it to us. Now, that's a fact, and you can sure enough look it up. I really don't want to spend today uh, talking about that, um, because it's, a, it's such a clear fact. Um, his resurrection is a fact, and it's for our healing and for eternal life and for our abundant earthly life. What I want to talk to you about today is you, is you and me. I want us to think about us for a minute in the midst of all that. And I want to ask you a great question. Leonard Ravenhill, another great pastor of the 70s, he asked it this way. He says, what are you saved from? What are you saved from? You, and the classic answer, well, I'm saved from hell. Good answer, by the way. But you're also saved from stuff now. See, you're saved in eternity from hell. But you're also saved from your sins. So what are you saved from? Are you saved from greed? Are you saved from anger? Are you saved from bitterness? Are you saved from your lust? Are you saved from bad manners? Do you struggle with these things continually? Are you saved from dirty-mindedness? Are you saved from a judgmental spirit? 
Are you saved from envy and jealousy of what other people have and what you wish you could have? Are you saved from worldly wants? Are you saved from craving after riches? Are you saved from selfishness? Thinking only about yourself a lot? Are you saved from pleasure-seeking? Are you saved from your pride, from exalting yourself and making yourself look good in everybody else's eyes? Are you saved from dirty language? Are you saved from racism? Are you saved from immoral behavior and immoral thoughts? What are you actually saved from? See, when a Christian gets saved, something has to change in their life. And it means that the the one who became our Lord and Savior is ruling in our life now. Lord and Savior means we trusted Him to rule in our life. Now, I was saved in the second grade at Greystone Christian School, and technically I was a first grader. I was ahead because um, I was such a smart kindergartner, they advanced me. No, that's not why, because my mother put me in too early. <laughs> okay? but, but I was saved in the second grade. So, you know, it was like the sins of my second grade year were, you know, eating glue. That was my biggest one. That stuff was so good. Remember the glue on the stick? Remember you could pull the stick out and that's, it smelled good and it tasted good? And, and you never knew that until you watched another kid do it and he's like, hey, this is good. <laughs> Pretty soon you're just eating all the glue. So, but that may be why I have issues today up here. But <laughs> I ate too much glue as a kid. But you understand, as a second grader, you go, well, what sins were you saved from? Well, I'm going to tell you I was saved from all my sins as a second grader. Now, I'm not going to tell you I live perfectly since I was in the second grade. But I'm going to tell you that the power of Christ in me helps me overcome that list. And I can be victorious in it. True Christ followers, true Christ followers live in victory or they battle for victory over their sins. They don't give up. They don't just go, well, that's just who I am. It's just who I am. It's just sin. It's not a big thing. It's just who I am. That is wrong of us as Christians. And I'm speaking to us today to say, if, if you're not battling for victory over these areas of your life, If you have sin that completely defeats you constantly and you just let it, I want you to evaluate. You may truly not be saved. You may just be hoping in salvation. We'll talk about that. You may be hoping in salvation. Or here's the other option. You may have genuinely gotten saved and sin has beat you up so much and you've lost so many battles to it that you're very discouraged now. That's that's a couple of options. One is you didn't really get saved. You just hoped in salvation but you've never had Christ come into you because, see, when, he's get, when we get saved, we get the power to overcome these sins, right? Now, when we, when we hope in salvation, we don't get that power. We just get the wish. But then there are Christians who truly get saved and they get beat up by sin. And they lose their battle to sin. Over and over again, they keep losing the battle to sin. And that, the reason they do that is because they're very discouraged. A lot of times they just need somebody to surround them and help them. They need people to come alongside them. They really need to be in a healthy church. And if you're losing the battle to sin, if you're a true Christian and you're losing the battle to sin, and you're not plugged into a healthy church, I'd recommend ours just because I say it's probably the best there is, but it's just me personally. <laughs> okay, It's not about me, by the way. The people here are what make our church amazing. But you've got to get plugged in and say, I need help. I'm not okay I'm struggling. I know in our Wednesday night fellowships and with our small groups and and our times of fellowship, our men and our ladies have begun to knit themselves together and the the youth have begun to say, hey, help me. I want to overcome this sin in my life. I don't want to be defeated by this. That's a Christian who's willing to battle for victory. Okay, But if you're not battling, you might want to evaluate yourself. 
You're not living under, you're, you should not be living a defeated life. You should be living the undefeated life that's offered through the cross. The book of 1 John was, the, John says he wrote the book, the latter part of 1 John 5, that we're going to quote from. The latter part of it, he says, I wrote this book so that you might know. And he means experientially know that you have eternal life. I had a lot of people say, well, I think I'm saved. I'm like, you don't know? Well, no, I don't know for sure. I'm like, how do you not know? <laughs> you should know if you're saved or not. And, and the way you would know, John says, is this passage right here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves His children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and say this word with me. If we love God and, go back one, and obey Go back one, Josh. I'm going to read that last sentence. We know we love God's children if we love God and... Now say it like you mean it. If we love God and... His commandments. And the verse continues. Loving God means keeping His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God, watch this, defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. So I'm going to just give you the five, those five verses in one word statements. You ready? Just put them up there, Josh, all of them. Okay? Um, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the last verse. Now here's what it says. Verse 1, everyone believes. You have to believe. Verse 2 says you have to obey. Verse 3 it says you, should, you love God by obeying Him and keeping His commandments. Verse 4 says you conquer the world, the sinful thinking of the world, the plans and the actions and the attitudes of the world. Verse 5 says you win and you live undefeated. Most Christians I know, most Christians I know get two out of three right. Two out of three. You know which two? Sure you do. They believe and they love God. Oh, I love God, love God, love God. And I believe, believe, believe. I do, I believe. I'm not about to do what He tells me to do. I'm not going to obey... Because that's hard. That requires discipline. But I do love him. I really do love him. I'm just not going to obey. I'm just saying to you, remember I told you going to tan your hat. Most Christians struggle to be victorious, which is what four and five are. We conquer the world that attacks us. We, we win and live undefeated, victorious lives, according to this verse, when we believe, obey, and love God. Believe, obey, and love God. And you know what we struggle to do? is obey. We find all kinds of good excuses not to obey. There's lots of reasons we don't do what simple instructions the, the Scriptures give us to love our neighbors, to, to uh, not live selfishly, to, um, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We find all kinds of reasons to disobey the Scriptures. And in that process, and in that process, we live defeated lives when here's the promise of this passage. You get, to, you get to live undefeated if you'll just follow this passage. And then John says later on in John, 1 John 5, you can know. When you start experiencing the victory here, and you go, you know what? I used to really struggle with this. Man, I used to have a real problem with this in my life, but I've watched God slowly over the years take my attitude, my anger, my bitterness, my, my, my jealousy, my judgmental spirit. He's taken that and began to pull that out of me and replace it with spiritual things and replace it with kindness and joy and gentleness and meekness. And He's helped me. See, when we start living here, 
in the obedient plan, we begin to see God working us and we go, hey, I know I'm saved, man. You, you, got, you just have to know me before. I know who I am and I know I'm saved. So for all of us, we have, we have a choice to be defeated or undefeated in our spiritual life. In your earthly abundant life right here, you can live satisfying lives or unsatisfying lives. There's a choice. And you say, well, that sounds wonderful, Pastor Dan. So, so what's that going to cost me? What's it going to cost me to do that? Well, here's the big deal. Okay, this is the real big deal. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. See, Jesus isn't kidding when he says he wants to be the Lord. And I wasn't going to candy coat. A lot of churches love to candy coat Easter Sunday because it's Easter. And you want everybody to enjoy Easter and have a good time. And you want all the guests that come to, you know, kind of get the feel for, you know, God's loving and kind and all that. He is. He is. He's the greatest one you could ever follow. But I'm just not going to candy coat what the commitment is. Okay? The commitment to Christ is He wants everything from you. He wants everything. I'll give you the verse. It's in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus begins this conversation with the disciples. And He says, if you want to be my disciples, you have to love me first. You have to prioritize me first. You have to make me the center of your life. It's a passage where some of you would remember Jesus says these words that people get all twisted sometimes and they say these weird, uh, they say bad things about Jesus. But He goes, I want you to love me more than you love your mother and father. He actually says, in comparison, you should hate your mother and father. Well, doesn't the Bible say we should love our mother and father? Yes, you should love your mother and your father. Jesus isn't saying don't love your mother and father. Actually, the Greek verb there is used three times in the Bible, and all three times it's a comparison verb. Jesus is using it just like that. He's saying in comparison to how much you love God and me, it should look like you hate your mother and father. But you love your mother and father. It's just a comparison issue, right? You understand? So here's what Jesus is saying in that, in that verse. He says you should count the cost. He says, verse 28, don't begin until you count the cost. And I'll read you the verses in between for a minute. He says, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And he talks about a king who goes to war without counting the cost. He doesn't count his... He doesn't figure out how many soldiers he's got and what his battle strategy is. And it cost him. He says that would be foolish. And then he says this great sentence, verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus asked us for everything. You know what his plan is for you and me? To surrender. To surrender. There's a fun word. And y'all look like I just belted you. Y'all sitting back in your seats. Everybody relaxed. Okay. This is a good truth. If you get this, satisfying life sits right there with you. You get a satisfying life. But Jesus is asking for surrender. It means, hey, wave the flag and go, okay, I'm done with my plan. I'm done with my way. I want to do this your way. What does Jesus ask His disciples to do continually? Continually He says, follow me. Follow me. Don't leave me and don't go somewhere and ask me to come with you. That's what we do as Christians a lot of times. We give God instructions. Say, hey, here's my plan. Will you bless it? And God goes, hey, how about follow me? Let's talk about my plan for your life, right? Follow me. Follow me. That's what we're supposed to do. Went to a wilderness trip with some of my college students. I used to take some of my college students up north of Birmingham and take them on these wilderness hikes. And 
We'd spend two or three days camped out in the uh, deep in the wilderness, usually a, a half a day or more walk into the wilderness. And, and one of the years that I took them, um, they had changed a little bit of the trail routes and stuff. And I had been on those trails a few weeks before I'd gone in and walked the trails myself, figured it all out, and blue trail, yellow trail kind of deal that the rangers had marked. And when you look at the map, you follow the blue trail to the river. Only the blue trail doesn't get to the river. It comes to a bluff that overlooks the river where there's no camping at all. <laughs> you have to follow the blue trail, and then later you take this little dog leg that's not even a trail. It's just where people have figured out how to cut through to another trail that will drop you down to the river bank and to the, to the sandy place we wanted to camp. And I remember taking my group in, and I had taken a bunch of my leadership people with my college team um, that we, we had in Birmingham, and we were all walking together, and when I decided that we were going to take that little cut through, there was pandemonium in my group. We were all walking and talking together, everybody side by side. You know, I told them, hey, y'all follow me, I know how to get there. And all of a sudden, there's this debate, because they got maps, and they're explaining to me, oh, that's not the way we're supposed to go, Pat, you're in the wrong place. Pastor Stan, you're in the wrong place. I went, really? Have you guys ever walked this trail? Well, no, but look at the map. I said, guys... You know, you can go your way if you want to, but you'll be back. You know what happens when you're a Christian? You learn that when people choose the world's way, they'll be back. You know what happens when you choose your own plans? You'll come right back to God. Eventually, you have to come back to God and go, God, would you help me with this? I've been doing this my way, and you do it your way. And there was this whole debate, and literally, I had part of my group say, we're, we're gonna, we'll meet you there. And I said, no, you won't. We'll be, we're going to get there. And I didn't tell them they were going to be at the bluff. But sure enough, when we get to the beach with the handful that followed like they were supposed to, we're pitching tents and we're watching them up at the bluff go, hey, remember that little pig leg? Yeah, go back there, cut across. You'll follow the trail, you'll find us. You know, you'll see our footsteps, you can get there. You know what we do as Christians though? We tell God, hey, God, I got this. No, 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 let me explain to you, God, I know. And he goes, please follow me. So my call to us today, my challenge to you all, is that we need to be followers of Christ. And we need to do exactly what that Scripture says. We need to believe and obey. When the Scriptures tell us to do something, let's become proactive in doing it. Let's not just say, well, I believe that's a good idea and people should do that. No, let's become the people that are doing what we're called to do. That's what makes Christianity work. And that's what gives us the un defeated light. If you, if you want your life to be different, if you want it to be undefeated and victorious, you can keep on trying to do it your own way. You can keep using your plans and your ways and the world's plans and the world's ways, but you're going to end up unsuccessful. You're going to end up with a whole lot more L's than you have W's. And the Bible wants us to be winners and victorious. That was the promise that we could be victorious. So only Jesus can give us the eternal salvation and the earthly victory. Only Jesus gives us eternal salvation and the earthly victory that we need. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to play some music softly in the background. I just want you to, with your heads bowed, I want you to evaluate where you are. Not you. By the way, Jesus just wants to be your leader. Not you and Jesus leading. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to be His co-pilot. <laughs> He just wants you to be on the ride with Him. You have to surrender to get out of His way. Some of you today have never fully surrendered to God 
And you're evaluating yourself. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit is going to speak right to you at your seat. There's no shame in that, by the way. I don't care how long you've known of the truths of the Scriptures in Christ. I don't care how many Easter services you've been in. There's no shame in realizing today, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And let's just change it. Let's make ourselves, let's put ourselves in that winning category. So if you've never trusted Christ your Lord and Savior with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never trusted Him, would you pray these words with me? I'm going to pray out loud. and You pray softly. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need you. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I want to live with you forever. And so the best way I know how, the very best way I know how, I'm going to ask you to cleanse me of my sins, wash me and make me new. And Lord, I want to be your faithful follower all the days of my life. I commit to that. I make you my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name.